Hello and welcome to The Stockout. The Stockout is your show at FreightWaves for all things related to the consumer packaged goods industry, the CPG industry, and their supply chains. Uh, the CPG industry makes up about one-fifth of all freight transportation. So uh, I think if you're involved in freight transportation or a broker, uh, you should care, even if you're not directly involved in uh, CPG. Um, and today on the stock out. I'm going to split the show up into two parts, talk a little bit about CPG news, which really the biggest thing right at the moment is this industrial CO2 shortage, which um, you know primarily hits food and beverage industries and uh, could potentially hit them pretty hard, particularly in Europe. I'll talk through what's causing that, which industries are going to be most affected. And uh, after that, I'll discuss um, CPG transportation with Kevin Williamson. Kevin is the CEO of RJW Logistics Group. So we'll have a good discussion on how uh, CPGs can make their um, you know, middle mile uh, more efficient. And um, I want to thank RJW Logistics Group for sponsoring this show. RJW owns and operates every step of the middle mile. As an asset-based integrated logistics company, they offer a full suite of retail supply chain solutions under one roof, including industry-leading retail consolidation that consistently delivers over 98% on time and in full, month after month, to many retailers. RJW's programs offer global suppliers control and transparency, helping them improve in-stocks, achieve retailer compliance, grow market share, and increase sales. Visit rjwgroup.com today to optimize your supply chain. So big thanks to RJW Group, and we'll be talking to the CEO Later in the show, um, but first, I want to get into sort of the main sort of CPG news, you know, of the hour, which um, is related to the industrial um, carbon dioxide CO two shortages. Which you know, this has hit you know a bunch of news organizations, including a lot of the ones that are sort of trade rags in the in the CPG industry, a lot of in the food and, and, and beverage industry, and uh, you know, have some charts on where natural gas prices have have gone. Um, you know, like a lot of you know energy. Uh, prices they've really gone gone way up, uh, you know, both in the U.S. and especially um, you know Europe have some some charts on there. But you know, really, you know, Europe seems to be the the area that's struggling more with uh, the industrial um, you know CO two uh, shortage. This is the um, the the Dutch gas uh, you know in, index here of Dutch gas prices, and so this according to our energy expert John Kingston here at Freightwaves, this is the one you should look at for what's happening in Europe. And sort of the the, the short um, you know takeaway is that they've risen a lot faster in Europe than they have in the U.S. And you can see in the past you know three months, let's say since May or even even June, it's basically almost been a triple in the natural gas prices for for European gas. So these are futures for for next month uh, delivery. And then you go back over a year, it was about a, a double from uh, let's say October through 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 June. So it's up like sixfold. Um, you know, in the past, in, in the past year, and you sort of put that, um, you know, combine that with what's happening in the in in the U.S. It looks like the U.S. Uh, nat- European natural gas price is like ninety four dollars in the U.S. It's um, you have a you have a chart on that also, but but it's it's nine dollars and change. So having a big impact with with the rising fuel uh, or rising um, you know energy prices in, in in natural gas, and what has this has led to is a lot of the companies that pro- you know produce. Um, Materials that have natural gas as sort of a basic feedstock, like you know ethanol, fertilizer. Some of those are are shutting down. Um, have been shutdowns in fertilizer production. Some 
are expected. There's been disruptions in a, a known U.S. source of uh, industrial CO2, Jackson Dome in Mississippi. Now, I guess that one's back online, but the bigger issue in the U.K. is prices have, have run so much that they're cutting back on a lot of these, um, you, know, you know, these processes that leave CO2 as a byproduct. And so with less of that byproduct, there's less CO2 to go around for uh, food and beverage. And um, this is leading to, uh, you know, inflation in the UK being, you know, 10, 10.1% in the last month. So worse than it is in, in the US. Uh, and some of the industries that this is impacting um, is, uh, you know, the breweries. So basically you need industrial CO2 in order for beer to taste like beer. You need it for things like um, mineral water, for soda, in order for soda to have the, the, the fizz. Um, you know, industrial CO2 is used in frozen form and dry ice to keep fruits frozen. It's used in a lot of uh, the meat processing plants. Um, you know, Tyson said that it's short in natural gas in about 10 different locations in the U.S. And part of what it's used for there, I guess, is in humane slaughter systems where I guess they stun the animals with industrial CO2, um, you know, before the slaughtering process um, to, to just make it more humane. So it's really impacting a lot of um, you know, food and beverage companies sort of um, and about 70% of the, the uses is in uh, food and beverage uh, uses for um, in industrial CO2. So uh, I'll keep uh, an eye on this um, for updates within the stockout and, and try to update this every week. It does seem like it's an issue that's going to persist because one of the, the reasons why uh, they're short on um, you know, CO2 in Europe is uh, Russia is withholding um, agreed upon volume, I guess, in the certain pipelines, they're operating at 20% of the agreed upon you know, uh, volume. And so it seems like this is retaliation for a lot of Western companies pulling out of Russia after the, the invasion of the Ukraine. So it does seem like um, you know, it's going to be worse in, in, in Europe than the U.S. and it's going to persist uh, for, for some time, un, unfortunately. So this will be something that I'll, I'll keep um, everyone updated on in, in, in the stockout. Um, so before we talk to uh, RJW Logistics Group uh, CEO Kevin Williamson, just give another quick, um, you know, thanks to to that company. Um, you know, are you assessing the advantages of prepaid versus collect freight management for delivery into retail? It's going to be something we're going to talk with um, you know Kevin about. RJW's retail consolidation program consistently delivers over ninety eight percent on time and in full to ensure a stronger shelf presence, increased in stocks, retailer compliance, and overall retail supply chain improvement. Visit rjwgroup.com to speak with a retail logistics expert about the advantages of RJW's program and to make the best decisions for your business. So a uh, big thanks to RJW Group. And with that, we'd like to bring on their CEO, Kevin Williamson. How you doing? Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks for, for joining me and, and thanks for sponsoring the, the, the show. Really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I think logistics a little bit easier than the political spectrum across the world and how to impact CPG with with uh, C2O. I mean, that's intense. This yeah, is yeah, exactly. I mean, we did our thing here on, on freight waves of sort of what's the hardest, what's the thing, area of most uncertainty going forward. And people had different responses there. But my response was, um, you don't know what's going to happen with with China um, and, and their situation with, with, with Taiwan and COVID lockdowns and all those things, but you really have to add Russian to the mix as well. Um, so, so wanted to ask you, I mean, you know, you've talked, you talk a lot about sort of this collect delivery program versus prepaid delivery program in, in CPGs. Um, why, why don't you explain those to listeners and, you know, what are the advantages and, and disadvantages of, of each? 
Sure. Um, well, when you, when you look at the collect program, the collect program specifically with, with Walmart looks at um, low cost. So everyday low cost, how do we get it from the vendor, the supplier directly to uh, the RDCs of the regional distribution centers um, and then to the shelves? Um, collect program was built to uh, service those bigger CPG companies for them to hold safety stock within those RDCs and then replenish the stores beyond those. So it was built really off of understanding that we're going to keep the cost low um, and we're going to have a supply chain that's going to replenish those stores. Uh, but there's only so much room within those RDCs uh, for that network to hold on to. Um, and you look at you know, CPG for collect programs, those are uh, customers that are in the middle of the store, they turn inventory often, or they're slower moving items um, and, and household goods or automotives that really don't have to be replenished on <coughs> uh, a continuous uh, cycle. So the lead times are a lot longer, and that's what it was built for. Uh, the prepaid programs uh, were built for really um, the retailer ordering in smaller quantities and less than full pallet quantities in LTL uh, type environment. And a consolidator comes into that to consolidate all those prepaid orders to get it to the RDC more often and with shorter lead times. Um, the advantages of obviously the collect network are lower cost, slower moving, but the disadvantages to that, as you take a step back and you look at it, are they're not always going to pick up from your dock on time. At times, they'll consult, they'll, they'll create congestion at the dock because of missed pickups, uh, because they have so much within that collect network to pick up. And as you see certain spikes um, through replenishment, um, some of those cogs can get uh, wore down. And then, you know, recently we've seen a lot of um, suppliers coming to us in the collect network saying, hey, you know, our docks are getting clogged up. They've reintroduced some surcharges on the collect network to increase fuel surcharge because of the inflationary pressures that retailers are feeling. And the delta between the cost of a collect program and prepaid program, that delta has shrank. Um, so as, as you look at the network as it is today, um, the advantages of a prepaid program is the replenishment of orders to those RDCs and improving your in-stocks at the store level um, get increased. Um, and the delta between those two costs have, have really shrank. So um, I guess collect network as described would be a uh, cheap way to get your goods to the shelves as an advantage. Mm -hmm. Disadvantage, you could see a lot of out of stocks, which do that do create uh, your sales throughput at the store level. Um, so th those are the two advantages and disadvantages of, of collect versus prepaid. Yeah, that's interesting. So, w which direction do you think the is the industry headed? If you had to say, you know, what the the industry trend is? Yeah. So. Um, Going back to 2012, 13, through probably this year, um, it was kind of status quo where we, we could, you know, we lost, uh, 
maybe two total suppliers that went prepaid to collect uh, over the last eight years. And those were larger CPG companies that it, it made sense that they go collect. Um, and there was reasoning behind it and the throughput uh, and, and the amount of volume that they had for a shorter amount of skew made sense in truckload quantities. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, uh, the trend has been just the opposite uh, tenfold. So we've had a, and since the announcement of increased in, in charges for the Collect network, you got to think about Collect. They're going to keep it low as, as as long as possible with the vendors that they have. They have a freight factor that they set against the cost of those goods sold to that retailer, and they put that freight factor within the cost of that case. Um, retailers, you know, I mean, if you look at the financial impact of retailers and having too much inventory and the inflationary pressure of fuel, cost of a driver, cost of equipment, um, retailers had to go to market and say, we, we've got to increase that freight factor in the collect network in order uh, to at least have a break even in, in that division that we're running. When they did that, they went to these suppliers and they said, hey, we've, we've got to increase you here, um, but you have the right to, to, mar- or to go and, and compare our price to a prepaid consolidator's price. Um, mm-hmm. And what that did was bring people to the table to say, okay, we can, we can move it to prepaid, pay about the same freight factor, but have the advantage of having better in-stocks, uh, less congestion at our dock when Collect Network doesn't make pickups. Um, and we're seeing uh, a big wave of conversions from Collect into prepaid uh, with the major retailers. Uh, recently, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the thing that that helps me is is the graphic that you had on your website. Maybe the production team can put that up um, there. Which you know, this I think explains it really well. Where you have um, you know the, these various CPG companies it would be the customers there. There's a full truckload, let's say, to a, a warehouse that you have. I guess your warehouse there in Chicago, and then you know instead of having an LTL. You can have a lower cost, you know, truckload, and and let's say that's that's truckload with three different CPG companies are sharing it on, on the way to the retailer, um, you know, distribution uh, center. So that sort of drove home to me, you know, why that business model makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll bring in. We've got five million square feet. We'll bring in. We've got over five hundred plus suppliers in this program, and well, you know, sharing that room on each and every truck. You know, delivering a thousand plus truckloads to these uh, retailers every week gives you the ability to review, you know, POs more often to keep up with consumer demand. But the big thing these days is just having that just just in case inventory building your inventory levels with the shortages that you mentioned earlier. Um, it's difficult to keep up with demand when their the natural resources are are difficult to come by. Especially in CPG yeah, with, with food. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, so you say that the the larger CPG companies are better for a collect program. So let's say General Mills can have a truckload of cereal every day going to a particular Walmart location. But let's say a smaller CPG, it wouldn't make sense. Is is there a certain rule of thumb for how big the company has to be to make sense for a collect program, or or what sort of sales 
range, it makes more sense. Uh, not, not necessarily. It, it all depends on, on how fast your throughput is with that specific items. We work with some of the largest CPG companies in the world, and certain segments of their business make sense to flow through a consolidated network. It all depends on uh, a lot of different factors, but including, including how fast those replenishment orders are turning, you know, with, with retailers demanding, um, you know, not full pallet orders, but case orders based on the demand and the complex nature of their replenishment systems. You, you really have to look at how your in-stock, to in-stocks are, are, um, are doing. So if you have low, low in-stocks or out-of-stocks at the store level, um, mm-hmm. you've got to measure those things and find out, you know, what it is, but you're right. And in cereal, when it comes to that, where you've got one or two SKUs that make up for that and you're going directly to that or importing directly container loads to the RDCs, uh, those are the ones that make sense. But a, a lot of these larger CPG companies are figuring out that, you know, we've got to look at consolidation for certain segments of our business. You know, are there certain redheaded step, stepchild children that that really don't work within our network? Let's take a deeper look to find out how do we get rid of those headaches, put it into an outside consolidation program that uh, concentrates on having better better in stocks for uh, driving those sales. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the fees for the collect customers, how those have increased. Is there any more detail there? I mean, you sort of talking about your website, how you're 99% on time, 98% in full. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the economics of sort of what types of fees would someone incur if they were, let's say, 90% on time and in, and in yeah. full? Yeah, so it's different uh, depending on which retailer, but, uh, you know, Three percent of the total cost of goods sold to the retailers, if if you fall below those certain thresholds, um, other other people and you know others like Amazon, Walmart, Kroger, Myers, um, all have implemented uh, other fee schedules as well. So, you know whether it's SQEP or Supplier Hub, understanding you know how you have to be compliant when delivering into those various retailers is is ultra is ultra important you know whether you're case compliant with barcodes making sure that you have g10 making sure that you have the item number specific to that retailer so that it can flow across their rdc's compliant when we looked at these things and they were released uh different compliance for different retailers you know we've got different programs that uh, understand the rules for each individual retailer and then you know auditing those internally at your at your your CPG company to ensure that uh, you're compliant is ultra important. Um, we've got clients that uh, you know have a non-compliance for a double barred double-sided barcode. Uh, if you're monitoring those and you know the compliance for that specific retailer, it's important to be able to react fast to get compliant, you know, various retailers now have compliant teams that go from RDC to RDC to ensure compliance. If they find one case that isn't compliant, then they're going to look at that at all the RDCs going through those those different DCs and assessing fines because it makes their environment a lot more less effective. So all these retailers have 
have certain areas where they put the non-compliant cases over to that they have to physically go and and manage and find out what it is to get through their network. So, you know, it's a long time coming. I think retailers have been patient for suppliers to become compliant. Um, and now, you know, the pavement hits the road or uh, you've got to be compliant and, and understanding those compliant rules uh, for each individual retailer is ultra important uh, to make sure that you have, you know, compliant ASNs, compliant barcoding, load requirements, all those different things. Uh, but it's about a more effective supply chain to flow through different DCs. Yeah, it sounds like getting audited by one of the retailers, big retailers, like being audited by the IRS. It's like you got to avoid all the, the red flags. Otherwise, they're going to check everything and find something else that's inevitably yeah. wrong. Um, you wanted to ask you also, I mean, you talked about on your website, um, you know, having various value-added services at your warehousing locations and, you know, the benefit of having that at a centralized location. Can you give some examples of uh, the, the value-added services that you provide? Sure. Well, that, that's a, I mean, that's a good example of a non-compliant case. Uh, when those cases are, are flagged by the retailer, we have the ability to go into our inventory, pull all that inventory out, drop it on a print apply machine, read the G10, and then make it compliant to that specific retailer. So once you identify something that's non-compliant with a retailer, acting quickly on your inventory to get it compliant so those fines don't continue to add up is key. But the reason that we've created, you know, a value-added services department is just for display building, inkjet printing, labeling, uh, to be able to support the CPG companies uh, so that it don't, they don't have to take it out of their 3PL, send it to another 3PL to get those orders compliant. We also have compliant teams within our our building that looks for compliance uh, that we're responsible for, you know, making sure that you have the integrity of a correct pallet, making sure that it's an A grade, making sure that it's loaded correctly and um, all those certain things. But that's what value-added services uh, is all about. Um, but understanding that is is important. Understanding the compliance is important as well. Got it. Um, you know, I find it interesting that you have all your warehouses in Chicago and uh, saw on your site, you make the case that, you know, that still makes sense, even if you're a food manufacturer in Texas and you're ultimately moving those goods to Florida. Can, can you explain why that makes sense? Yeah, we, we've, um, you know, started this consolidation program from an empty 75,000 square foot building with maybe one or two customers in it to 5 million square feet and growing. Um, and we followed a methodology that was a Harvard study on run one route inventory management. And that that's basically covering, you know, we'll consolidate thousands of loads out of Chicago on a weekly basis. If we're able to share labor between buildings, there's little to no disruption um, on that on, on that fulfillment process. In order to uh, maintain a high performance record, you need uh, the people to do it, the buying power to do it out of Chicago, and then having that consistency to make those replenishment orders. So our one-node methodology basically goes along those same uh, those same the same direction of uh, purchase power out of Chicago. Um, 
you know, and, and giving great performance on the outbound with consistency and then labor sharing between all the buildings and then also reducing our customers' inventory safety stock needs. So replenishing one inventory, one node um, for us to distribute throughout the whole country is really, you know, the methodology between sending it up here and then sending it back out. Um, we, you know, we've taken a lot of clients from a multi-node into a single node and showed that uh, the savings, uh, there is no savings. It's about the same cost, but the value you get with, um, you know, that consistency of reduced inventory holds, better performance is really the reason that we put that that methodology together. And a lot of that has to do with the management and the leadership that you have to manage all of those customers under one big roof. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, sounds like both for performance and sort of cost efficiency, it makes it, it makes sense to have it all in a sort of a central location. Um, so um, you're about out of time. Uh, you want to thank you, uh, Kevin, for spending some time with us today. Um, you know, where can people reach out to find more, uh, to get in contact with you and, and learn about RJW Logistics sure. Group? Yeah, you can just uh, go to our website, rjwgroup.com. And if, uh, if you need to reach out to anybody. Well, great. Well, thanks again. And if anyone needs to reach out to me, feel free to email me at mbowdendistal.com and sign up for the Stockout newsletter at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout.